were involved in the campus because your mother works there. Yes. I was also involved in killing poets. We are episode number one. Welcome, welcome to a dark tale. I'm your host Joe, and with me is my co-host James. How you doing? Hey, how are <laughs> you? We finally made it. I'm not uh, coughing a lung out this week, so that's good. Yeah, we both have a. I, I woke up with a little cold, of course. Yeah, well, your turn. First episode, I gotta have a cold. So mm-hmm. I don't normally sound like this. Hopefully, in a couple days, I'll be better. Anyway, here we go. We're discussing Edmund Kemper, a.k.a. the co-ed killer. Let's jump right into it with a little background. Ed was born in Burbank, California on December 18th, 1948, to Edmund Kemper II and Clarnell Kemper. That's a shitty name. Yeah, I don't really... Uh, I mean, that, that, that kind of decided fate from the get-go right there. <laughs> Edmund and Clarnell. Edmund and Clarnell. Yeah. Sorry, that's a, yeah, that's just a shitty name. Anyway, Ed was the only son and the middle child to his parents, and um, turns out Ed's Ed's mom was just as shitty as her name was. She was an abusive alcoholic. Oh, you don't say! I never would have saw that fucking coming. With Clarnell. Yeah. Yeah. She was an abusive alcoholic, a narcissistic, controlling, verbally abusive person. She was this way, mostly to Ed, and a lot of the times to her husband as well. Now, her husband, Ed's father, was a World War II veteran, and when he was finished from the front in the war, he went and tested nuclear weapons in the Pacific Proving Grounds before coming home. And taking a job as an electrician. Yeah, you know, job progression. Yeah, that's what the military did back then. It actually prepared you for the real world (laughs) after you um, avoided death. (laughs) Anyway, Clarnell... um, Yeah, she didn't see it that way, though. She didn't see that way at all. You know, she was looking for more in a man and um, defending her country and... uh, working his balls off wasn't good enough for Clarnell. So she often complained about his menial electrician work. And um, it, eventually he had had enough, the father. He, um, he was quoted as saying as suicide missions in wartime <laughs> and the atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with her. Yeah, so standard marriage. <laughs> <laughs> more than He also said more than 300... And 96 days and nights of fighting on the front were not as bad as living with this woman. Oh, so, shit. Was she this... I, did she ever exhibit any of this kind of behavior to his sisters? You know what? That's a great question because as much research as I did, I didn't see any evidence of that. I can't find anything regarding that either. Um, Ed had two sisters, one younger... One older, I, I mean, they, they live relatively normal lives too, didn't they? Like, just kind of. The reason why I ask is because it's interesting that somebody so verbally abusive, so um, obviously unhinged, as to uh, make her husband speak that way about her and to create the co-ed killer. The fact well, that nothing, um, you know, like you don't, 
So what you're saying it. is it must have been exhibited to all three kids. I, in some could, form. It that, couldn't have been just limited to Ed. I mean, and if it was, if it really was, then I could see why that would really exacerbate well, she his was, already um, in later interviews. View. Excuse me, sorry. No, you're fine. In later interviews, Kemper was stated, he stated himself that she hated men and uh, she specifically hated her son because he reminded her of her husband and she loathed him for that. So um, she genuinely... Uh, she may have just had a genuine narcissistic hatred towards men in general and okay. exhibited that on uh, any man she was with. She remarried at some point in her life and mm -hmm. had a number of men in and out of the home after her subsequent divorce. Okay. But her even her second marriage, I believe, failed at some point. Okay. All right. And uh, getting back to Ed's younger sister, Something if they like were that. abused, hey, they didn't become serial killers. That's true. <laughs> so this is no excuse. No. He, people no. are abused every day, and it's a vicious, vicious cycle. It's terrible. But not everyone becomes a serial killer. No. No, men do tend to. I'm not saying... <laughs> you're right. There's yeah. no women. You're, no, you're right. You're um, right. But... Just that... But not it, not everyone that is a victim of abuse... No. ...is a raging psychopath. No, most aren't. Plowing ahead. Moving on. Ed's parents would obviously be very troublesome, ultimately end in divorce, when Ed is nine. Ed's dad, not a big fan of uh, his ex, so he hightails it to L.A., and his mother moves the rest of the family to Montana. Yay. Another perfect factor into making a serial killer. No stable home life. Sorry it's for people from LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anybody listening in Montana is just like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm moving on. Next podcast. Oh, no. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> I can't say that. I've never been there. <laughs> no, are you kidding? Montana's beautiful. Like, it's where oh. the buffalo roam. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> okay. All right. It's done shitting on Montana. It's beautiful. Moving on. Sidebar. Um, we should mention that Ed Kemper is a very, very big person. When he was born, he weighed 13 pounds. Yeah. I that actually... may have been why his mother hated him, because that is got to be hell to push that kind of mm -hmm. human being out of out of your body yeah i would hate anybody i would i would hate that too i actually <laughs> put, i pulled up a, a a news clipping from the day he was born it says a uh, local mother gives birth to elephant baby <laughs> um, she looked very disheveled and in pain you're a terrible human being <laughs> by age four ed was already a foot taller than most of his peers i don't know how many peers you have at four years old that's the information I'm giving. The people in the room <laughs> were a little scared. He's a huge four-year-old. He exhibits a high degree of intelligence at a very young age. However, that wouldn't come to light until after he commits his first crimes, until after he's locked up. No one is aware of his actual level of intelligence. They know he's smart, but all his devious dark tendencies kind of overshadow that fact right he, he was never really a, an academic so to speak but he's right i remember listening to an interview he said he had a teacher that would ask him simple questions like what does the what's the brand name of the stapler and the stapler would say it right on top and ed would just 
say something that sounds like the name of the stapler, mm-hmm. but isn't the actual name. And the teacher would scold him for this, saying, you need to slow your brain down and focus. And he would focus, and he would get the name right. So that was Ed's big problem in school. He had uh, an attention problem. Nothing could hold his attention. He was always daydreaming. American education doesn't exactly foster towards those kinds of people who need maybe a little extra help focusing on the correct things. I mean, uh, he was an intelligent... Certainly not back then. No, no. uh, Not then, barely now. But he was a smart person. He was observant. He was very self-reflective, which... uh, Let me tell you how intelligent he is. Tell me. He's so intelligent. I don't know how... This isn't actually intelligent. This is... At 10 years old, um, Ed starts exhibiting extreme violent acts. Again, overshadowing his intelligence. But he's conscious of what he's doing. He buries his family cat alive. After the cat dies, he digs up the cat... And decapitates it. My God. He's 10 years old. Think of the frame of mind you were in at 10 years old. What were you doing around that age? Well, I wouldn't bury them. You just go for the head. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, but honestly, a a normal 10-year-old is, you know, riding his bike, fishing with his buddies. Yeah, he... Stuff like that. He's already... um, yeah, he's playing with huge concepts of, uh, you know, what he has control over and what he's realizing is he can control life and death for some things. Right. And at this age, I don't know if he realizes the finality of his actions, but nevertheless, he continues to mutilate this cat. He mounts the head on a spike. Mom wasn't very happy. So she has a generalized fear of her son and that fear is uh transpired i guess that fully realized well not really realized but she calls him a weirdo you know he's a big kid he's doing these things she didn't parent you know (laughs) she didn't parent you know she had it's it's fair to say she had probably had her own mental problems yeah 100 percent i mean if i mean that's I mean, that's going beyond communication issues. Is, yeah. is She's calling her, her kid names. and Yeah, he's still a kid, and it's a messed up... He's doing messed up things, but what you need to do there... I mean, I'm not telling... But God, I'm not a parent. I'm certainly not an expert, but you don't want to push the kid further into isolation and uh, all these... Call him names. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Um Again, with the cat, once, uh, yeah, he, he mounts the head on a spike. Yeah. And then at 13, he kills another family cat. Holy shit. And they don't go into too much detail as to what he actually does. I can't imagine it's not much farther from what he did with the first one. But uh, the reason he did it is he thought it was favoring his younger sister over him. Oh. So that's... That's why he, okay, he, he killed the cat, and he kept pieces of it in his in his closet until mom found him. See, that's what always gets me, and uh, I mean we'll see this later on with when he's describing his murders. Um, 
he kind of talks about his own motivation and you can almost and he's so articulate and well spoken that you can almost understand the frame of mind when he's doing something like this, especially if it's a juvenile act like, oh, this cat likes my sister more. But what when he starts cutting them up and throwing the pieces everywhere, that's where he loses me. Where there's something else there. Like that's I don't know. I don't know. That's, so the cat favoring the sister, that that doesn't throw you off. You can understand that? No, I understand that his in his skewed world, that would be uh, the oh, rea- his world. You can the reaction, uh, you know, like oh, I'll, I'll just kill the cat, you know, for a ten. There's no he doesn't have the perspective of. Is that attention seeking behavior? Um, not attention seeking behavior? No, nah, probably not. Probably I, I don't not, think so. Right? No, it more. Um, mm, do they say that's a cry for help? I don't know if yeah, that's I mean, a cry. It, yeah, it, it is and it isn't. Not, he's not literally crying for help. And he would but never, he should be yes, helped. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, sorry, um, go on. Yeah, so the dark fantasies and rituals continues uh, at, at, at a young age. He involves his younger sister's dolls, culminating in him removing their heads and hands. And that's just like foreshadowing for mm-hmm. the next... 20 years of his life one occasion this is really strange um ed tells his older sister susan that he's got a crush on one of his teachers so she teases him and does what an older sister will do any older sibling you know they'll do what they do so she goes she asks him why don't you kiss your teacher ed replies if i kiss her I'd have to kill her first. That's a weird line of logic. Well, that's right there that tells you he doesn't know how to communicate without death. The reason the way yeah. he gets close to things is only after they're dead. Yeah. Yeah, okay. With the animals and now he's even talking about murder. At a very young age. He's 13, 14 years old at this point, talking about if I'd have to, if I wanted to kiss her, or if I were to kiss someone, I'd have to kill her first. So he he now understands the finality of death. We questioned that before. And he understands that he can only get close to, maybe he doesn't understand, but he's exhibiting the trait that he can only get close to something post-mortem. Yeah, it's, uh, he built his habits, and now it's kind of like all he knows. But I, it may be pedantic, but I wonder what the inflection was on that quote when he first said it to his sister. Like, I don't know, like, how do you, because that's a hard line to deliver in a conversation, you know? So, like, it may be signed. I, I really I, don't think it would be a hard line well, to a, deliver if you're, Delivering the line, I, you know what I mean. I if guess. you're in that mindset, maybe that's just seems more normal to you. Maybe, but at the same time, he's probably not even trying to. He probably knows how that sounds to his sister, right? Like he, he's a smart guy. He doesn't. He's he's actively hiding himself from the world at this point already. Um, yeah, I think anyway. I maybe maybe not. Maybe that that quote is proof that he's not doing that. But um, yeah, well, like no, I mean, no, he, this is definitely antisocial behavior. Yeah, 
Um, he, he doesn't have many friends. He's teased because he's very big. He's oafy. Yeah, he's, you know, you know, he's thirteen. He's six six foot something tall already. Yeah, all he does every every single he wears thing. glasses. Yeah, everything that reinforces that idea in his head, he accepts. Exactly. I mean, he can't possibly accept anything else than once he's already started that habit. And any any time he interacts with his sisters, he he's he's playing these air quote games. One was called gas chamber. <laughs> um, Ed would have his sister strap him to a a bed or a chair in the bedroom and throw some like vitamins or some sort of pill into the room, and he would feign choking to death, like the gas chamber. Mm-hmm. And uh, same thing with electric chair was another game he liked to play with his sister. Either he would strap his sister into a chair, mm-hmm. and uh, he would be the executioner okay. throwing the switch, yeah. or he would be the one getting electrocuted and, f- again, feign electrocution and death. So he has this... Those are fun games, you know. My favorite was guillotine. <laughs> I was partial to basketball. <laughs> yeah, call, it's... Call me kooky, call me wacky. Boring. So that was that was pretty much Ed's childhood. And um, on top of all this, because Ed is indeed so strange and weird, as his mother calls him directly, Ed she also mean. makes him sleep in a dark basement, a dark, damp basement. Mm -hmm. Um, Ed describes walking into the basement with having one light at the bottom of the steps, having to unscrew or having to leave that light on, walk to the opposite end where his bed would be, screw in the light bulb and turn that light on, walk back through the darkness into the light again and Mm -hmm. turn the opposite light off from which he came down first and then go back travel through the darkness into the light it's this very metaphorical in his mind in his mind but he was indeed forced to sleep in the basement as a kid because his mom was afraid that he would rape and murder his sisters it's a fair assessment I on mean, her part i mean Jesus, I, I mean yeah as fucked up as it is it's i mean he's this is i mean but this is probably why he was doing this stuff I mean there's a there's an idea that like if you you know you tell like a kid like alright you're you know you're a piece of crap you know they're they'll just inhabit the behaviors that they believe it that yeah that you kind of put upon them um we it, it's actually a really fascinating interview to listen to as much as a nut job as Kemper is he is something to listen to cause he is a talker he likes to talk and uh Anything when he's describing this particular situation, walking out of the light into the darkness, it's, it's very metaphorical for what he says is his life. And if you want to look it up, you know it's on YouTube. You can you can find it out. I'm mm-hmm. not going to go into too much detail. Okay. But it is very interesting. It's an interesting watch, and uh, you know. To hear him describe everything, because like you said earlier, he's very well spoken, articulate, smart, and that can—I mean, that's—it can be distracting, because uh, then you remember, oh, he cut up—he cut up girls, and that's—you know—that's what brings me back to reality. Like, 
either I I stop the video halfway through and I have to remind myself or the video is short enough to where I remind myself at the end he killed 10 people mm -hmm. like he butchered 10 people mm -hmm. I, before, but even before that he was killing cats as a kid yeah I, I, this kid never had a chance yeah with I mean between his parents his I don't know what his dad was like there's not too many details on his dad but it sounds like he was like you know what? I don't like my wife, so I'm out. And pretty much said fuck all to the kids. Yeah, I bet you his mom actually built up their dad in um, a lot of ways when talking about his military career. So, because I mean, Ed really, I, I, he idolized the uniforms and he idolized like all sorts of military and police. That was probably and yeah, like and obviously. We, we like to imagine, um, what's her name, Clarnell, as, <laughs> yeah, this, as Clarnell. I imagine her as this screaming cartoon character where it's all the time nonstop. But I'm sure there were quiet moments where it's like, oh, you know, your father designed uh, this and like uh, he was a great man when he did this. And, well, Ed you know. was a big fan, well, wanted to be close with his dad. Yeah. So at 15 or 14 maybe, uh, Ed leaves home leaves Helena, Montana. It Some articles say he ran away. Some say his mom sent him to live with his father in L.A. Mm -hmm. Either way, in 1957, his parents are separated. The, the tension is high. Ed is uh, 15 years old. He goes to L.A. He's with his dad. Okay. And he finds out that his dad is remarried, has a stepson of his own. That didn't really make much sense. A stepson of his own. <laughs> <laughs> well, you too, Dad. Look, I too have a stepson. <laughs> Finding that his father had this new family and new life in Van Nuys, Ed only stayed a month. And oh, um, his father sends him to his, his parents, his, uh, Ed's father's parents who will live on a 17-acre ranch in um, the mountains of North Fork, California. It's right outside the Sierra National Forest, Yosemite National Park. Mm -hmm. Beautiful piece of country. And Kemper hated it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, this is why. Turns out Ed's grandma, not much better than his mom. Oh, great. <laughs> Berating, you know, hated men, the whole bit. She would verbally abuse and em emasculate Ed and his grandfather on a daily basis. The and cycle continues then. Just this family is just kind of... Like I said. It keeps reaching back, huh? As a kid, he never had a chance. Wow. By the time Ed reaches his grandparents, Ed's grandfather is in the early stages of dementia. So he's forgetting things like people's names, his keys, stuff like that. He's still coherent and everything. Mm -hmm. drives, you know, does tasks around the farm and stuff like that. But he's starting to lose it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he's just slipping. Okay, You know, he's getting old. Happens. So with the abuse of his berating grandmother, you know, things don't get any be better for Ed. So he spends a lot of his time on his own. You know, he's, like I said, he's in this beautiful piece of country so what does he do? He hunts. His grandfather gave him a twenty-two hunting <laughs> rifle, and because they're on, a, they are on a working farm. He's pretty much told to shoot 
rodents, rodents and stuff and okay, stuff yeah. like this that this helps the farm yeah his grandmother tells him not to shoot birds and other animals so what happened he doesn't listen. Ed killed, right, he's, uh, he's pretty much... He got a license to go go have a you know, nice summer, a 64, was it? <laughs> oh, no, never mind. I just <laughs> stole it, stole a sentence ahead of... No, it was, yeah, yeah. It was 1964. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. so, yeah. So, yeah, he's having as much fun as he can, I guess, on 17 acres by himself hunting. Uh, gophers, birds... Even though his grandmother specifically, don't shoot the birdies. Yep. In the summer of 64, Ed sent back to his mom's. So they're just passing him around like... Nobody wants the kid. Okay. Uh, he only goes back to his mother's for two weeks. And then he sends back to his grandparents. Wow. So this is really giving young Ed the impression that he really isn't welcome anywhere. Doesn't matter where he goes. Yeah. Mom, grandmom, dad, basement, farm. You're not wanted. Go away. Somebody else. Take this kid. How old was he now? By now he's 15. And we already know he's mentally unstable from a young age. He's got these dark fantasies. He plays these execution-style games with his sisters. Mm -hmm. He kills animals systematically. He's now hunting animals, so he's got this hunter instinct that's being bred into his head as a kid you know he's out on his own shooting gophers and animals and small animals that are quick so he's he's learning to be quiet and have that hunter mentality yeah. and, he says, and uh, add in the rejection and the sense of hate that he's feeling from all these people around him 15 years old it only adds fuel to the fire so he's got a, a framework of violence Hatred, rejection, uh, and miscommunication. Total negativity for literally his whole life so far. And he's only 15. It's the man he will inevitably become. Wow. So back with his grandparents, it said that Maud, good old Maud. Maud, huh? Maud. Maud would carry her 45. She had a 45 in the house. (laughs) But she kept it with her anytime she left the house for fear that young Ed might get his hands on it. Smart Maud. Very smart. But <laughs> she may not have remembered the twenty two that Ed was given by his demented grandfather. Oh, oops. Yeah, that's why I don't keep um that's why I don't keep grandpa in the armory, just dealing out the weapons there. Whatever the reason she kept the forty five on her, it didn't matter because on August twenty seventh, nineteen sixty four, Edmund Kemper shot his grandmother in the back of the head through a screen door as she sat at her kitchen table. This is Ed's first official murder. He's 15 years old. He's moved from small animals, from six sadistic games, to the real thing. What, uh, what drove him to actually do it? Uh, it's said they had some sort of argument he faked like he was like he was uh, leaving the house, mm-hmm. and he said he said, I think he said something like he's coming back to get his rifle, to go hunting, and he went outside and he stood there. His grandmother saw some sort of look in his eye. She paid him no mind, sat at the table, and he he just snaps. So the, okay, well, probably popped not her in the head. Probably. And after shooting her, 
he stabbed her corpse with a large kitchen knife. Okay. That probably wasn't even a big fight. He just snapped. Probably. Probably. It was... And, and remember, they have 17 acres. Nobody heard this. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. He had probably been thinking about it for a while. Now, Ed always felt for his grandfather because he was older, he was ill, and his grandmother, you know? Yeah, he... He felt for his grandfather. He sure. really liked his grandfather. So knowing that he had just murdered his grandmother and that his grandfather would be upset and angry, he didn't want to deal with that. When his grandfather came came home, he was out at the store, maybe shopping, who knows, but he was due back soon. And when he did return, Ed shot him, and um, that was that. Him too. Double wow. murder. Wow. So he kills his grandmother because he's pissed off and he hates her. And then he kills his grandfather because he kind of loves him and didn't want to see him any more a victim than he already was. And that's in, in his weird that's mind. That's his version of it. Of caring. Yeah. That's his. That's his version of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So. So he's either, what, lying or just genuinely, that's just the mind of an insane person. That's the. That's. Why we're talking. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. twist of irony here. Ed has uh, Ed's killed his grandparents and has no clue what to do. He's freaking out. Okay. He's in panic. He calls his mom. The woman that's abused him the most, that's rejected him the most, is the first person he turns to. Uh-oh. So she tells him to call the cops, and that's what he does. And he quietly waits on the front porch of his grandparents' house. Sheriff's deputies arrive. They take him into custody. Custody. Into custody. It's It's ice cream. It's delicious. police. (laughs) So they take him into custody without any kind of fight or struggle. And when he's asked why he did what he did, he said, I just wanted to know what it would feel like to kill grandma. There you go. Reason enough. Yeah, he's an insane. He was an insane person. He is an insane person. That's exactly what the uh, the courts deemed. They deemed the the acts incomprehensible for a 15 year old to commit, and psychiatrists diagnosed him as having paranoid schizophrenia before sending him to the criminally insane unit at the Atascadero State Hospital. Now, now, what was I going to say paranoid schizophrenia? That now that's the uh, that's the nice, neat little umbrella umbrella that they kind of just shoved every person with well, psychiatric problems. You have back to then. remember, yeah, this is the '60s. Yeah, I understand, and it's it's the whole idea. Psychiatry of is like they were just like stopping lobotomies. Yeah, <laughs> no, they weren't. This, in the '60s, they they still were doing them. I thought that one guy had Doctor, uh, I forget his name, but. <laughs> He he was going around. He went like on tour, giving lobotomies. Yeah, lobotomies. Yeah, that they. Still, but I thought they stopped in the fifties, like the late. No, I'm pretty late sure they did them in the sixties. Even. That's freaky. Maybe. Kemper asked for one. Did he? Well, he was a smart guy. You know, he had lots of moments of clarity where he's like, "Eh, I should just be put down." That, that, <laughs> that's essentially what he was saying. But we're jumping ahead. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Ed calls his mom, cops 
come and get him. He says, I wanted to know what it feels like to kill grandma. And they say, you know what, kid? We're going to put you away for a little while. Okay, we're going to put you in a, put in a nice little room. Can't hurt nobody. Cats. And um, while at Atascadero, psychiatr- psychiatrist, that's Boston for psychiatrist. <laughs> The social workers and psychiatrists strongly disagreed with the court psychiatrist's diagnosis. Their report stated that Kemper showed no flight of ideas, no interference with thought, no expression of delusions or hallucinations, and no evidence of bizarre thinking. Hmm. This is the same 15-year-old that murdered his grandparents. Yeah, he's fine. It was well, just a see, one they time record, thing. He took an IQ test. This yeah. is the first time his oh, IQ that's, is recorded. Yeah, that's all you need is for a fucking teenager who's already full of himself to be told he has a high IQ. Well, it wasn't just him, but the, the doctors thought, well, he's got a 136 IQ. I know. He's he's just, you know, he's he can't control his genius. Yeah, he's just so smart. So this is the first time he's made, a, Kemper's made aware of his intelligence um now it's a little there's some gray areas here because he's re-diagnosed again as having personality trait disturbance passive aggressive type that that just sounds like schizophrenia no that's now it's a, a personality trait disturbance or like a personality disorder a lot of time like antisocial personality that's more likely what it is now but you know that's just like the diagnosis for when you're just a shitty person <laughs> that's really all it is it's medical terms for it's, you're a shithole it basically is like i mean it's yeah like his mom like a possibly borderline like uh, they they thought right borderline they thought her, yeah, his mom his was mother bo- yeah yeah his mother was believed to be borderline personality yeah that's um, later on at the hospital, he's tested again, and uh, his IQ suddenly spikes to 145, which is near genius level. Yeah. Uh, so either Ed is just somehow getting smarter. Or, or the IQ is bullshit, which is really what it kind well, of chalked up to be. Well, yeah. Ed, Ed is smart, and you'll see why in a moment. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not discounting that he's smart, just that the... Well, actual score is bullshit. May not be. Check this out. Because of his intelligence and his diagnosis at at Atascadero, he was able to become an assistant to one of the psychiatrists. Uh Let the psycho be an assistant to the psychiatrist. And that enabled him to read doctors' files. Yeah. So he would transfer files between doctors, and sure, he peeked a look. Kemper would memorize answers to questions of psych tests allowing him to cater his own responses to make himself seem more normal as as normal as possible as opposed yeah. to his true way of thinking which was obviously very manipulative and psychotic there you go psychopathic excuse me both so yeah both really um so because he's intelligent he's masking his insanity He's using his intelligence to mask his insanity. But if he wasn't aware of his intelligence, would he have been able to mask his insanity? Yes. Yes. He didn't need to be aware of his own intelligence. He was already isolated and and 
self-reflecting. He he was aware of his own situation and he and he constantly. I I think the fact that. It, he was an articulate person is kind of what allowed him to get where he was you yeah, know where he needed to be point. i think yeah, the he, way he came across to doctors they liked what they saw yeah so he he exactly like really he's he's uh, uh who's the guy in um but played by leonardo dicaprio and catch me if you can uh kevin mitnick was it or no is he the Wait, hacker the, guy? the actual the actual guy who it's based on Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, me too. I don't know, regardless. But uh, he was just a guy who kind of understood that, like, the, the the systems at the time had a lot of room for exploitation. A lot of holes, yeah. Yeah, a lot of room for exploitation, and he just kind of used it. And for serial killers or for sociopaths or people kind of navigating this they there's they're the first one he's the first guy to do it you know i think it was always going to end up this way if it wasn't him it was going to be someone else that's a fair assessment from someone who <laughs> is not a professional yeah i'm, I'm not <laughs> a professional I'm, I'm just saying that like i mean this is what we're doing this is why we started the podcast is I, to is to hash these things out because I, we're not professionals and no. we want to know why no i just think that the i mean for one thing, we do know now that IQ is doesn't really. It's mean, not. It's it, not a hundred. It doesn't. Well, it, it, well, no, it's, it's not that. It's, it's not all, accurate. It doesn't just. It doesn't mean much. It just. It's more like it, it's a. It's a intelligence quotient. It's more like the, the capacity of one's intelligence. Not really. Right. Not really. Right. Oh, a high IQ means he knows everything and can. He knows more. Yeah. No. Not. Not at all. You can have, um, someone with a high IQ be inarticulate, undereducated, completely dumb. You know, and just through a, a, a lifestyle of bad habits, just be a mess, you know? Well, that's a savant. Sure. That's like, uh, what's his name? Russell Crowe. <laughs> Either way. I mean, there was, a, again, a, there was another real name, a real man behind Russell Crowe. Oh, for A Beautiful Mind? Yeah. Oh. John something. <laughs> um, excuse me. Good thing we're not doing a movie podcast. Holy shit. Oh, no, that'll be mine coming soon. <laughs> 2020. 2020. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on. Yeah. So as a kid in the hospital, Kemper endeared himself to his psychiatrist, model prisoner, well-mannered, and yeah. was trained to administer, administer a psychiatric tests. Yeah. All the, he exhibited all the traits to allow him to get to the uh, He, to, he to really the, worked positions. the system to, yeah. to allow himself to almost become part of the system mm -hmm. in a sense. By administering these tests, he knew what doctors were looking for in terms of how to diagnose someone. Yeah. He has so from their perspective, he is he's fully compliant. He has they have no reason to believe otherwise. He also became a member of the Jaycees. What's that? So the Jaycees is uh, it's a civic organization and a leadership program for people between ages 18 and 40, which is a really broad range. That's like basically anybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, they emphasize on areas like business development, management skills, individual training, community service, and international connections. Okay, so it really buffs up a uh, convict's resume is what you're saying. Pretty much, okay. yeah, it makes yeah. somebody look good. So, or at least I mean, is how he saw it. Yeah, um, honestly, as um, yeah. 
So he didn't even realize he was playing this long con kind of game. While he was a member of this JC's organization, he stated that that allowed him to become privy to some new tests and new scales on the Minnesota multiphasic personality inventory. Whoa. Specifically, an overt hostility scale during his work uh, with the Atascadero psychiatrist. Huh. What is this? This could all be bullshit. This is all him saying this. Oh, okay, you pulled this from an interview? You yeah. about this? this uh, well, this paragraph specifically is from Wiki, but this is from, yeah, Kemper himself. He's, this is what he's saying he did while at Atascadero. Mm-hmm. After a second arrest, Kemper stated that being able to understand how these tests functioned allowed him to mi- manipulate his psychiatrist and admitted that he learned a lot from the sex offenders that he administered these tests to. For example, they told him it was best to kill a woman after raping her to avoid leaving witnesses. Jesus. Well, I mean... Huh. I'm sorry. I'm just kind of thinking. Like, why would he be doing these things? He probably didn't even really have a reason to do so except for the fact that he continued down that habit of hiding his true self and hiding all this he did what his mom told him to do and called the cops on himself and then but he was still in survival mode the whole time he was still you know me versus everybody else like and just kind of navigating the system and he well at least after the fact i mean after the after he was in custody i think he went back into the me versus everybody else yeah with the manipulation of his doctors and whatnot, he was yeah. still playing that yeah. me versus just them to, Just to angle. see if he could. That's what it is. They're games which become not games. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> wow, we're almost at 50 minutes. Yeah. We should. This might have to be a two-parter. First episode's going two parts. We're running really long. We don't have a whole platform to put it on, so... SoundCloud only allows you so much. Is it long if it's episode one? We don't really have a frame of reference yet, so long, short, really, this is the normal. True. (laughs) I feel so much better about myself. (laughs) All right, well, let's uh, wrap up with Ed's release from Atascadero. Okay. He's only there four years, which really isn't a long time after a double murder. But he's only 15, so uh, four years at Atascadero, Ed Kemper is deemed fit to return to society. To society, four years after shooting his grandparents dead and manipulating doctors throughout his stay in a mental hospital, Ed Kemper is released on parole on his 21st birthday on December 18th, 1969, into the custody of who else? Clarnell, oh. Mama Dukes, and this <laughs> this was against the the precaution of Ed's doctors. But they said, you know what, he's got nowhere else to go. Let him go with mom. So he goes with mom. Ed was locked up at Atascadero during the cultural slash sexual revolution, the summer of love in oh. the late sixties. No, oh, what a shame. He missed yeah, it. Yeah, he missed it all. But when he was released, he witnessed all the free love and the rampant drug use and he didn't like it. Oh. Didn't like it one bit. Okay, he didn't miss anything then. He liked he liked order. He liked discipline. So he was a disciplined killer. Okay. 
Okay. And he liked to be in charge. So he decided he was going to be a cop. He was going to change his ways. He was going to be, his co- be a cop. However, because he was now 21 and he stood at six foot nine, the man was literally a giant. He's probably around 300-some pounds. He was actually too big for enrollment and was rejected. There's that word again. Rejected. 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 There's that word again. He was rejected from the police academy, from applying Mm. to the police academy. So at this point... He's 21. So at this point, he's he's fresh out of this, this hospital that he's been navigating for how many years? Four years? Yep. Four years, he probably he probably felt a little full of himself at that point because he's been probably he, felt good. Yeah, he was he pr- yeah. getting good reception from his doctors. He, he was part of uh, the prison testing system. Yeah, he was a part of a community of mm-hmm. sorts. He's yeah, exactly. Now he's, now he's back out in the world, and everybody's and, you know sharing sexual partners and. Doing drugs and experimenting and... And then he gets rejected again. There's that word again. Yeah. Let's not forget, he's living with mom. Oh, he's living with mom. Boy. So, while living in Santa Cruz with mom, he works... uh, uh, Excuse me. She works, by the way, at uh, University of California, Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. Um, Ed takes a construction job at the time and starts hanging out at a local bar called the Jewelry Room. And this is where all the local cops from Santa Cruz hang out. And because Ed was rejected from the police academy, he still has an affinity for law enforcement. And he still has some sort of respect for the badge and the uniform. So he likes to hang around these guys. He likes to talk to them. And they refer to him. They get to know him. They know him as Big Ed. He's somewhat of a friendly nuisance. They deal with him. They deal with him, and he's nothing more than, you know, a fly on the wall who sometimes chimes in in their conversation. Just a guy at the bar. Just a guy at the bar. Uh Uh-huh. He leaves his construction job and works a series of odd jobs before uh, securing a more permanent position with the highway department. He's still with his mom, so everything at home is really toxic, hostile, and the frequent loud arguments that are had between Clarnell and Ed are often heard by the neighbors. Oh. And it's, uh, it's a very, quote-unquote, verbally violent atmosphere. That's what Kemper himself said. Yeah. I, um, was there, oh, was there uh, did we, do we know what he did with the highway department? I think <clears throat> he was just, like, cleaned. Like, he picked up trash on the side. He was one of those guys that you saw on the, on the side, side of the road. Yeah. Got familiar with a lot of the wooded areas, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah, yeah. she he, he, yeah. I feel like even if it's not something he mentions or talks about, it's probably he probably pulled a lot of things taking from taking in yeah. a lot of data. Yes, yeah. as, he's, as he's out in the world. Yeah. yeah, just kind of absorbing these things and passively remembering things and that add up to yep. a lot of things and things like that. He probably he's probably not even remembering what he's remembering until he goes to commit these acts and right. says to himself, hey, I know a good spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ed's having these verbally abusive fights back and forth with mom. So he saves up some money. He saves up some money and he moves out with a friend to Alameda. Hmm. 
Um, here he still complains of being unable to get away from his mom as she regular phones him, pays surprise visits. The pop-in. Oh, man. The you gotta pop-in. love the pop-in. Yeah, and the pop-in. It's enough to drive anyone insane. And even, especially from a drunken, raging mother. <laughs> even though he had a roommate and he was living out on his own, he, uh... Living out on his own actually made him feel angry, awkward, and lonely. Hmm. Uh, His roommate was never around, so he was alone a lot of the time. So, other than his mom, he's not dealing with a whole lot of people. His roommate from time to time. Was his roommate like a close friend? Not much on the roommate. It was was just just a roommate, huh? Somebody shacked up with, got split the rent. From what I could find, it it was a friend. And uh, it didn't last very long because even though Ed's out on his own and he does have a roommate and he does have a a job full time from what I can understand. And on top of that, he he did win a settlement. He got in an accident. Oh, really? On a a motorcycle, I believe. And he won a $25,000 settlement. That's uh, not bad. Well, he spent most of it on a 1969 Ford Galaxy. It was Uh-oh. a brand new car at the time. Okay. So he spent most of his settlement on a car, and after that, he ends up asking mom for money for bills and ends up moving back in with his mom at some point. But that's a little bit further down the line. Uh, in the meantime, Ed is starting to pick up hitchhikers. Oh, with the with this brand new t- uh, car, he just he decides to start picking everyone up. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So he's not really doing anything but giving people rides. He's actually going from A to B with a stranger in his car. Yep. And he's practicing. He's only doing it with females, but he's practicing what to say to a female to get them into the into the car because yeah. they see this guy. They're, you know, they're thumbing it on the side of the road. Uh, I'm sure they are some use, some are using some sort of discretion. At least the smarter girls are. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. they see this big guy in the car, and they maybe not want to get into the car because he's such a big, overbearing person. Sure. I mean, it's, you look at the situation, and you, you err on the side of common sense here yeah but, so but. he's practicing certain things to say to make them comfortable to get them to trust him and he's actually practicing what to say once they're in the car to make them totally at it brings, ease yeah it brings the car i remember hearing him speak about this in his interviews uh he would talk about you know, just little things he would do to put their guard down, like act like he's in a rush, you know, maybe act in a way you, you wouldn't right. suspect. And he was doing this all while he had absolutely no motive to hurt somebody or or do any, any, any ill intent at all. So he gets, he's just practicing. I mean, he's practicing. He's working on trust. Yeah. And that's, that's classic. Dry so, run. You know, it's scary, man. That alone is scary. And to add to that... It's said that he picked over picked up over 150 girls before he decided to fix the passenger side door of his Ford Galaxy so that it couldn't be open from the inside. So he was actually just giving rides to random women. Mm-hmm. Like we said, as 
to get like the script down or something. I mean, he probably genuinely was just giving them rides to be in his mind a nice guy. Maybe. Um, it's maybe. Yeah. Maybe he was he, trying to establish a normal connection. Yeah. And then at some point realized it wasn't working, or for whatever reason. He just took the dark route as he normally did in the past. Yeah, he just doesn't even realize he's going down that slope. Um, I mean, maybe he does, but... Uh, well, at some point he begins storing plastic bags, knives, blankets, handcuffs, and eventually guns yeah, in so his car. he knew. But it wasn't until the spring of 1972 when he felt homicidal sexual urges which he called little zapples that's not creepy and began acting on them beginning his vicious murder spree Thanks for listening. That was part one of the two-part series for Ed Kemper. We just didn't realize how much information there was, so we're just going to split this Yeah, into. there was a lot to go through. A and, lot uh, to go through. We're going to get to the later murders next time on A Dark Tale. Stay safe out there, because evil could be anywhere. Go to a vulnerable place where there aren't people watching. What I'm saying is there are some people who prefer it in the cold, prefer it in the cold, prefer it in the cold, prefer it. There's that word again.